Hey, I was just looking at the calendar. Tomorrow is Saturday, which means what? That's right. It's Friday. We made it. Another weekend on the horizon. Another end of the work week before us. That's a good news, right? So welcome, 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 everybody. This is Mike, your host, always and forever. Thank you very much. And from somewhere in the American desert, this is the show, Let's Talk, Politics and Religion. Why not? <laughs> Let's get everybody's blood pressure a little going here. Had a friend of mine, oh, I still have a friend of mine. Um, she's uh, from back in New York, where I came from. And uh, she was a co-worker of mine. She worked in another department. But regardless, good friend, very good friend. And I said to her, I said, hey, you know, I got this show, I, you know, uh, through Facebook. And if you're interested, uh, I'll put you on the uh, listening list, you know, or so forth, the email list. And uh, back in the day when we were working and so forth together in the same building, we used to talk a lot about politics and so forth. She says to me, I don't need my blood pressure getting any higher. I appreciate it, but no thank you. Oh, well, okay, I guess, you know, what are you going to say? But anyways, if that gets the blood pressure going, then that's a good thing, right? Because hopefully when your blood pressure goes sky high like that, you decide to get up and get something done, get her done, right? Larry the Cable Guy, remember him? Yeah. Okay, anyways, let's talk. And the episode is sovereignty. So this is the last in the series that I decided to do on the, um, we started with the trial, right, remember, and then we went to um, the trial of Jesus, and then we went to Ad Admatai, which is, um, uh, when, O oh Lord, and that was King David had said that, so that was him, and then we went to, what was the next one, Suffering Servant, right, and then we are now at Sovereignty, so again, it's the end of the series. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. This one here, well, uh, let's say our prayer and then I'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we, in, our, in our world, Lord, at our time, we've come to the end of a work week. We've come to the day before our, our, our weekend, Lord, where hopefully those who are uh, laboring enjoy their rest tomorrow on the Sabbath and those that celebrate Sunday. But either way, Lord, we just pray and thank you for the, you know, your holy word, your revelation to us of yourself. And then, of course, your son, Lord, your son, who came and sacrificed himself, who was a humble servant, obedient and dutiful to the end, Lord, for our sake. And we thank you in his holy name, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I had the show ready to go. And a few news stories were coming up on the on the feeds, and I um I put them in here because they're very 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 much associated or connected with end time prophecy, and of course, much of what my show talks about or different stories in my show have to do with the end times. And so, real quick before we get into the the sovereignty and the you know that part of the show i have these news stories that i want to share with you and connect them so that you can see and understand that these are the days that we live in that these are probably most probably in fact the end times and we need to be aware of it our first scripture is out of luke chapter 9 and it says this the son of man this is jesus speaking the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, it's interesting that the word slain is used because Remember yesterday I spoke to you about the word slaughter, the lamb that was slain since the beginning of the word, and the Greek is actually slaughter. You see? So he again, or in this instance and others, he again is telling his followers this is what's going to happen. And it was an amazing event in that the Lord kept their eyes closed and their understanding dull until after the resurrection. 
And what a glorious thing that must have been. And he says right here, be raised the third day. Now I beg you, tell me, how do you get three days from Friday to Sunday? I have no idea. There's no, <laughs> you can't. All right. So there's got to be a different day then, right? Maybe we'll do a show about that closer, even closer to Easter. And then, of course, he goes on to say that if you're going to follow him, if you're going to, you know, emulate what he does and what, what he stood for and so forth, as the calling is, right? Then you got to deny yourself and you got to take up your own cross every single day. Every single day. Anyways, let's move along. The first section I'm calling Staying Awake. And here's the, the subheadline I ran, I was gearing up to attack Britain and the West. Now, I remember my first encounter with Iran was actually during the hostage crisis. And for those of you that are too young, that was an incident that occurred back in the late 70s under uh, President Jimmy Carter's administration. There's the kitty. Robert Blake did die. Yes, he did. And, you know, he was covered in the end of his, or in the end of his life, but at the one time in his life, you know, here's a man that had a, a prolific acting career and everything, most famous for Beretta and the, and the parrot. But he was, you know, he, he was Cockatoo. known, huh? Cockatoo. Cockatoo. That's right. I'm sorry. My bad. I guess that's like calling, you know, I don't know whatever nationality, something. I am not. I'm Italian or something or whatever, oh, you know. Right, right, like calling a sparrow a crow, I guess. But he had a cockatoo. And what was the bird's name? Do you remember? Fred. I just happened to, geez, I can't remember this morning, and I can remember the name of that doggone bird. Bird's name was Fred. Anyways, that was a big thing. So, you know, he had, he had a good career, and then, of course, everything fell apart for him, I think, really, when his, well, whether or not his, he murdered his wife and all that trial and everything else. And, you know, unfortunately for him, that was the beginning of the end. Yeah, Robert Blake got nailed and OJ walked down the road. So, anyways, so Robert Blake has died. What was he, 83, I think? 89. Oh, boy, okay, 89. So anyways, uh, well, that brings me up to another story real quick. I saw some pictures in a, a news story. Gene Hackman, 93. I'll tell you what, <laughs> if that guy walked up in front of me, I would not have known it was Gene Hackman, not even close. <clears throat> anyway, moving along. So I ran. I was uh, involved with the rescue of the, of the uh, hostages back in, like I said, in the late 80s, that was during my time in the Marine Corps. So the with right now, the world is understandably focused on the Ukrainian crisis and, you know, little crises and so forth in our own country. Not so much around the world, except for, of course, Ukraine. And, you know, of course, we're not looking at Iran, but we probably should be. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that a rogue nation would be seeking to exploit such a conflict in order to advance their own nefarious agendas. This is when things happen. Remember, I've told you so many times before, they take something and um, because there's something going on and they create another thing so that you don't continue to watch the first thing. <laughs> We're talking about the first thing or the second thing. Anyways, that's confusing, right? So so you have incident A, which is a big deal, and they don't want you paying attention to it, so they create incident B. And hopefully it takes your attention and focus away from incident A. Now, the for the past decade, you know, they, they rate countries, you know, threats and so forth. Um, and for the past decade, the British security officials, when they were talked to about ranking hostile states, as they call them, that would be a, a threat to our national well-being, they put pretty much, you know, always Russia was in first place and China was a close second. Well, now we have, um, and then also, you know, these militant Islamic groups would be less immediate, still worthy of close monitoring, but not something that is, you know, 
a concern, really, for the most part, like, say, Russia and China. That's changed. We have a new Islamic superpower, which I say already, <laughs> because I think a lot of times when the news stories break, it's already a moot point because they're past it and they've already got what they wanted. So Iran is now regarded, now listen to this, all right? So instead of China and Russia, Iran is now regarded as posing the second most potent threat to Britain's, British security. And of course that involves us, okay? So, you know, even though it's the British that have done the study and came out with the information, we're very much involved. And so it just shows how much progress the Ayatollahs have made in developing their military strength. And this, of course, while the rest of the world's been distracted, see how that works, by what are nothing short, these tragic events unfolding in the Ukraine. I mean, if you really look at the big picture here of what's going on in the Ukraine and follow the story, it is a very tragic event for both sides. Now, Western security officials, they've been obliged to revise their assessment, which tells you again, this is serious. Of the, you know, so they advise the assessment of the Iranian threat. Because there's been, understandably, or from what I've read and what I understood, to mean there's been a revelation by nuclear inspectors that uranium particles have been discovered at Iran's Fordo plant, which is uh, a plant or a factory constructed deep beneath a mountain so that it can't be targeted by Western airstrikes. So they're looking to develop a nuclear bomb. All right? Now, of course, another fiction that Iran tries to maintain over these past 20 years or so is that it has no interest in developing nuclear weapons and that all its nuclear activities are for peaceful objectives, such as like providing alternative energy, hogwash. If ever there was a line of, you know, cow excrement, <laughs> that's a good one, eh? cow excrement. Anyway, it's that right there, all right? A country and a people, not all of them, um, like, like Iran and other Islamic militant-type uh, uh, governments, they're all about lying, you know, lies and deceit. So let's look at a scripture real quick, and maybe we'll see something coming here. Luke 21, it says this, and this is Jesus again speaking, and when, when ye shall see Jerusalem com compassed with armies, which means surrounded with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh, which means near. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things are written, which are written, may be fulfilled. Now, in regards to the desolation and so forth coming against Jerusalem and or Israel, but it says that these are the days of vengeance, you see, the Lord, remember I told you, we've spoken, you know, he's long-suffering, and, you know, he would rather have it so that nobody has to, you know, spend eternity separated from him in hell and so forth and so on. This, again, is part of the long-suffering where, in the end, because they didn't repent, because they didn't want to believe, and now especially because they're coming against his holy land. See, it's not just about the Jews, okay? They occupy the land because God gave it to them to occupy. There's all of that. But the bottom line is the Lord God chose it for his. That's, you know, I mean, the whole earth is his, right? The earth is his footstool and the heavens is canopy is how it's written. So he chose throughout the whole world one place, Jerusalem. And, of course, it's in the land of Israel, okay? So in this sense, we're reading God's going to take vengeance on those that come about and try to take out not just, quote, unquote, you know, the people of Israel, but Jerusalem, his holy city. So the eyes of the world were on this uh, drama unfolding in the Middle East. 
and rightfully so. People may not recognize it, but this extraordinary narrative is about nothing less than the emergence of, of course, a frightening new global power. And this global power demands to be reckoned with. These people do not, do not come to this point in their abilities and existence and so forth and not display the power, not display their ability. They're out to show the world we have it. We need to stand by and be ready for this one. So we got Iran, again, roaring onto the center stage, the riding a surge of these circumstances and events that really have prepared its way. And in so doing, it's exactly according to Jesus Christ's prophecy of the times of the Gentiles. And it's right on schedule. Remember always this one thing, if you don't remember anything else, remember this at least going into these kinds of um, shows and whatnot and teachings and understandings. It's the right time, okay? It's, you know, it's not going to happen one split second before or one split second after. Everything is laid out by the Lord God, and nothing, nothing is going to happen before it's time. Now, an interesting, you know what? Give me just a second. I need to get my coffee. Hang on. I appreciate your patience. I made myself a coffee and left it in the kitchen. So back to the show. Um, we're looking at a case in point or an example of the right time. When Daniel was praying the book of Daniel, we hear about Daniel's praying to the Lord. And <clears throat> apparently it came to be that there seemed to be unknown by Daniel, why or whatever, a delay in the answer from the Lord to Daniel. And then when the angel finally showed up and he explained to Daniel that he was in a fight, okay, not just an argument, but a fight with the prince of Persia. Well, wait a minute, the prince of Persia Persia hadn't even come into existence in the world yet as a nation or anything else. So who's this prince of Persia? And the angel is contending with him. Well, we come to understand when we understand the unseen realm, the prince of Persia that this angel is talking about was actually the individual who was going to be one of the influencing angels over the government, the individuals in government, and so forth, in the kingdom of Persia. And it seems from what we understand and read in the scripture, this individual thought, I'm not waiting anymore. I'm going now, and it's my time. And the Lord says, well, no, 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 you're not. So this is how things work. And when it's time, you know, kind of like to make light of the situation, but like the commercial used to say, no wine before it's time. So no country or no prophecy before it's time. Always remember that. So how did this suddenly happen? How did Iran suddenly burst into such prominence in our day, right? The story is actually very fascinating. And so I'm going to give you a little background here so that you understand better and more thoroughly what the significance of all this is and how it fits into place. Because remember, certain places and things, um, or certain places, geographic locations specifically, weren't always known as we know them today. And here's the point I'm making. Before 1935, Iran was always known to the West as Persia. Now, that's the key, key word there, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. So the resplendent, Persian Empire, which it was, you know, magnificent. And it dominated Southeast Asia from about the 6th to the 4th centuries BC. 
It was one of four dominant Gentile superpowers in history. All right? So um, they were governed by luminaries such as Cyrus the Great and Darius, and it expanded and flourished. Now, interesting, Cyrus the Great is the only individual. Now, get this. So you say, you know, how do we know it's prophecy and from God and so forth and so on? And Moses was asked that question. How do we know a real prophet from a fake one? And Moses pretty much laid it straight on. Well, if it comes true 110%, exactly like they said, they're from God. If it doesn't, 110%, not 109%, not 199.99%, If it doesn't happen that way, they're not a God. So Cyrus was actually named by God. If I'm not mistaken, close to like 400 years or something, would you, you know, whatever, before he was even born let alone he was going to be a great ruler, okay? But Cyrus fits into Bible prophecy in that God said he would be the one that would, 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 would make the dictate that Israel could return to the land. And here he come. So anyways, later rulers have, of course, you know, succumbed to decadence, and when the empire was attacked by the ambitious Alexander the Great, it fell pretty quick because they had already been weakened from the inside. You know, you understand? So, but nevertheless, the flame of that glorious history still burns in the heart of Iran. That's similar to like what's burning in the heart of Putin now with Ukraine. So, the Bible's full of prophecies of this horrific time. And Christ said, all of them will be fulfilled within a short period of time, all right? So it's not going to be, well, you know, somebody's at eternal, that's eternal, <laughs> you know, how long is a short period of time to you? A split second? But anyways, apparently these things are going to happen again that are, are going to happen and fulfill within a brief or short period of time. Now, if you follow the signs that he gave, Follow the signs he gave us. You know, I believe, the time is about here. We go again to Luke 21. It says this, and Jesus said this again. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem, now listen, here's, here's, the, here's the key. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So, anyone who's not a Jew is a Gentile. All right? It's pretty easy to, you know, are you a Jew? No. Well, then you're a Gentile. No, I'm this, that. Well, but you're still a Gentile. Okay? So, this these times of the Gentiles, they're yet to be fully realized. But, however... We're in the outer edges, I believe, of this, this storm. Now, again, you've, events taking place in Ukraine with Russia, along with those in the Middle East and Iran, have everything to do with this prophecy. Did you know that? Pay attention. This is part of the core of biblical prophecy, right out of the Bible. And yet, how many preachers are preaching about this? says in Ezekiel 38, this is the famous uh, passages and scriptures in the, uh, about the Gog Magog. But listen to this. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth in all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, and all of them handling swords. Now, here's the key. Listen now. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. That's Ezekiel 38. Notice the word Persia. That's in verse 5. Persia. Iran. Remember? And then, of course, Ethiopia we know and Libya we know. So, pay attention. Now we have this part called partners in crime. 
So the Saudis and the Emir- Emiratus, Emiratus, and Israel. So the Emiratus is the is you know you have the Saudis and then you have this other small group called the Emiratus and Israel are quietly leaning on Moscow to hold back fighter jets and S-400 defenses from Iran. Now, according to Debka's military and intelligence sources, each of the three Middle East powers, while combining forces for the same end, really have a little bit of their own leverage. All right? Now, the point is really... For everybody concerned, regardless of their individual reasons why, is to keep Iran from acquiring from Russia. Now, Russia is a great, you know, is a well-known supplier of Iran, even though they deny it, quote, unquote. No, 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 we don't give, you know. Well, how did they get the stuff? (laughs) You know, it's your stuff. What did they do? Just walk in there and steal a couple jets and things and whatnot? I mean, come on, how stupid do I look? But anyway, they're all they're all on board at the same time. Again, even though they have their individual reasons why and so forth and so on, to keep Iran from acquiring this sort of hardware, this military hardware, because they know, especially Riyadh and Abu Dhabi, you know, there being Arabs as well as the... Um, Iranians, there's no, you know, there's no blood loss there between them, as they say. Uh, Riyadh, which is Saudi Arabia, and Abu Dhabi, which is the Emiratus, Emiratus. Um, anyway, they have, you know, one, they have their thing against their brother, quote unquote, and they don't want him requiring this sort of hardware, military hardware, because they know it's a threat to them also, because they're more. Even though they're Islamic and so forth, and Riyadh being in Saudi Arabia, they do have very strict um, Islamic rules. Uh, Unlike in our country where a religion can't rule the country and there can't be any formally sanctioned religion from the government imposed upon the people. And over there in Riyadh and Abu Dhabi and so forth, it's it's a different story. And Iran, too, especially. Is Iran is the uh, militant, more fanatical part or Islam than Riyadh and Abu Dhabi. So again, you know, our 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 eyes and our our focus. Not that you shouldn't keep you know aware of what's happening in the Ukraine, because of course that that's part of this whole, you know. Thing where if in fact Gog and Magog and so forth involves Russia, well, why else is Russia in the Ukraine? From the Ukraine, it's a short jump. All right? Just keep that in mind into Israel. Let's move along. Different story. So we had the kidnap of four Americans in Mexico. I don't know if you read about that. And of course, we have rampant drug trafficking. <laughs> That's really not news. But a Texas rancher is issuing a very stark warning. It's only, listen, this is what she said. And again, you know, these are the people on the front lines. She said it's only a matter of time before the cartels take control of our border towns. Now, I know some people that live only maybe 35, 40 minutes from the Mexican border, and they know, they know and they see, um, you know, the influx and so forth of illegal aliens, all right? And um, they've said many times, many times, based on what they're seeing, based on what they're hearing, and so forth, and some of these people have lived there many, many, many years, some all their lives, this influx of the cartel is not something they take lightly or with a grain of salt, as they say. Because essentially, there are certain little border towns all throughout the Southwest and so forth in Texas where the cartel could very easily 
set up shop. So you had the kidnapping of the four Americans, and you have the rampant drug trafficking. Now, this rancher, Debbie Debbie Douglas, she lives in Brownsville, Texas, and um, this is where the four Americans were kidnapped just last week by members of the Gulf Cartel. Now, (laughs) I got to tell you, so they get kidnapped, all right? And this is only, so you say, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. Well, this is only the latest in a string of violent shows of force, okay? And these, again, from the cartel, which maintains absolute control in Mexican towns and cities. I saw not long ago, and I've seen it since, different stories since, some video, some written. The cartel. I'm talking about the cartels in Mexico. Those, those um, tourists or whatever went down yeah. for cosmetic surgery. The cartel, tummy tuck. Whatever it was. I left. I don't know what it yeah, was. Tummy. But anyways, um, the cartel members. That's my next got story. Turned in. They actually, listen, so listen, I got to tell you, listen, listen, here you go. So five of these Gulf (laughs) cartel assassins, all right, who kidnapped what they're they're calling the tummy tuck four, because the one woman was apparently going down into Mexico to get a tummy tuck. They killed two of them. So listen to this. (laughs) Listen. They don't want the feds and stuff down on Listen to this. (laughs) They found five of these cartel assassins tied up and dumped in the street. Now, this is amazing. And dumped in the street with a note from cartel bosses apologizing apologizing to the four South Carolina families. This is absolutely amazing, right? So (laughs) here we are, the cartel. The ones you're trying to capture and whatever, well, I'll tell you what. What these guys did was not part of our Operation Mirandi, and so here they are. <laughs> we give them to you almost, you know, wrapped up with bows and ribbons and, and so <laughs> forth. This reminds me of back in New York one time years ago, this guy that I actually knew. I grew up with this guy. He got caught by the cops. Um in a situation, and he said, I won't get into the details of the situation, but he says he was working for the mob. Lo and behold, <laughs> not admitting anything official, <laughs> a lawyer appeared, or a couple of them, whatever, were suddenly on the news cycles representing certain individuals who were mentioned or may be involved that this individual made reference to, and we don't know this guy. So it's kind of, you know, well, okay, so you don't exist, but these guys represent, what, a shadow body or something? I don't know. Anyway, moving along. (coughs) Excuse me. So let's get to the crutch of the show. How's that? During the life of Christ, so the sovereignty, Okay, during the life of Christ on earth, from the womb to the tomb, he lived what theologians call a life of humiliation and destitution, some. I don't know if it's a true account, but I read a supposed account from a Roman centurion who was sent to observe Jesus and bring back a report. You know, Rome kept tabs on everybody, so I'm not surprised they were interested or keeping an eye on Jesus because, you know, his popularity was pretty profound. So anyway, this Roman centurion wrote, I never, I never, I never expected to see what it was I saw. He says, according to his report, He never even knew it was Jesus that he was looking at until he started to talk. And it wasn't the sound of his voice, as the the centurion reports, but it was in what he said and how he said it. He never heard anybody talk 
in such a way. And the other thing that caught him, that he didn't think of him as Jesus to begin with, was the way he looked. He described him as very much looking like everybody around him. A very commonplace, nothing elaborate, nothing that would say, I'm Jesus, you know, or anything of that nature whatsoever. And he hung with, well, a less than desirable crowd of people. Isn't that interesting? So anyways, in the humiliation, there's many aspects and his suffering was chief among them. Keeping in mind that we're talking about a person, listen now, who's Lord of glory, James 2.1. The beautiful and glorious one, Isaiah 4.2. The radiance of God's glory, Hebrews 1.3. Full of grace and truth, John 1.14. And then to end that part, it is remarkable that he was also at one time, now listen, a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. That's Psalms 22.6. Once again, our Lord despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's Isaiah 53. Doesn't sound anything like a king's lifestyle or a king's life at all, especially a god or, well, the god. Now, those griefs and sorrows, speaking of his father, were ordained by his father. And they were ordained for a time. Remember, I talked about time to equip him to be a complete savior, a faithful high priest. He was a man of sorrows. He might be a man of compassions. You see, the author of Hebrew makes this plain. In Hebrews um, 2, 17 through 18, it says this, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. So he became flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, meaning flesh and blood once again. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted." So he's able to assist, to aid us, to give relief to us that are tempted because he himself went through the same thing, but without sin. So the sufferings of Christ, the temptations, the trials and sorrows during his life of humiliation enabled him now to be a, as Hebrews 2.11 says, merciful and faithful high priest towards his brothers. And indeed, he is now in heaven what he was on earth, compassionate, merciful, sympathetic. The emotion which we should naturally expect to find most frequently attributed to Jesus, whose whole life was a mission of mercy and whose ministry was so marked by deeds of benefit, it is no doubt, you know, one of compassion. It's what's most commonly or frequently attributed to him the compassion of Christ, we hear about it all the time, the love of God, and so forth and so on. A lot of people use that as an excuse to live a certain lifestyle or to be a certain way. Well, God loves me. He's full of compassion and love, and so, well, you're right, he does. But it also says he hates sin. So an important question comes from the consideration of this compassionate high priest, um, and this is namely... How do his human compassions, 
differ in his state of exaltation compared to when he lived on earth and showed mercy and compassion as a fellow sufferer. Jesus doesn't suffer like that anymore. And, you know, he was pained at our pains, and he suffered temptation like we do, but he didn't sin. Is he still suffering like that? And if he no longer suffers, is it good news for us in terms of his compassion towards us? You see, Christ's affections, according to his manhood, are personal properties of his person in both his state of humiliation and state of exaltation, though with some differences. These differences and similarities between Christ's affections in both states, you know, when he was here on earth and now that he's in glory, pretty much are due to his resurrected body being a spiritual body. Let me explain. In 1 Corinthians, it says, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So it was sown or born flesh and blood, but it's raised a spiritual body. And it goes on to say, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So in other words, if there's one, there has to be another, or there will be another. There has to be another. You see? Remember he said to Thomas, because they thought they were seeing a ghost when he showed up in the upper room. You know, all the doors and windows were shut tight because they were afraid of the authorities. And in this case, Thomas was there. Doubting Thomas, remember, wouldn't believe till he saw and heard and touched. And when he touched Jesus, Jesus, to paraphrase, says, ghost doesn't have, bones, you know, flesh and bone. You see? So even though... He's, you know, he's in a quote-unquote spiritual body. It's still tangible. Now, spiritual means, so if we look at Paul, it, again, it doesn't mean the body is immaterial, but that it arrives at its goal of being fully animated and perfected by the Holy Spirit. This is where Paul says in Scripture, we will, we will not only see him as he is, we will be as he is. So you see, Jesus didn't lose or shed his humanity upon the ascension into heaven, but rather his resurrected body is now glorified. He was declared, according to Romans 1.4, he was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. So it doesn't mean, like Paul says, that only his flesh is glorified, but that is very nature body and soul, is glorified. There is now no weakness to characterize Christ as there once was in his state of humiliation or while he lived here on earth. All right? And he he did suffer weakness. He did have to contend with that. That's why the Lord prayed so often and, and like he did, because he was completely and totally relying on the Father for every single thing. Now, are they spiritual because these affections, because they belong to a spiritual body? No, his body is a glorious body. All right? The affection of loving and faithful compassion, of being able to sympathize with our weaknesses, and then seeing that we have a great high priest who who knows all that, has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, So we should always hold fast to our profession, right? But the idea of his loving us, well, that came from before he was even here on earth. Doesn't it say in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world? So the love was already there. Love is part of the character. It's part of the being. It's not something that's added added into or anything. It's part of the being. He doesn't know and can't know any other way. He or the Father or the Holy Spirit. They are love. They are compassion. They are understanding. They are sympathetic. Doesn't mean they approve and can, and you know, and it can't be tolerated. It cannot. Sin cannot be tolerated. 
But again, these, you know, the love and the compassion and the grace and the mercy, they are of their character. They can't change that. Now, the affection, the sympathy, you can see it as, I mean, metaphorical. It's an allegory alludes to. And it's the, you know, it's because of the human traits and emotions that we have that God has to use certain means of speech and approach and so forth so that we can understand it. You see, his essence, he's not a human. And God cannot suffer to sympathize with our suffering, but that doesn't mean he he doesn't understand it. You see, the sympathy Christ shows towards us is not merely on a past remembrance he has of his own temptations and sufferings, but it does include that. His affection, rather, is a present affection that leads to an ongoing compassion to those who need it. You see, Jesus, when he appeared to them, what did he tell Thomas? He told them to touch where the nails were. It's right there. You see it? And his side. Jesus bears the wounds forever. So you see, his understanding, okay, I guess you could say, and, and, and so forth of his time here on earth is forever a physical trait of his body now so that he will never forget. Well, he wouldn't anyways, but, you know, just, just, to, just to make the point clear, he would never forget or could never forget what he did go through and why he went through it. You see, the compassion and the sympathy and the love that he now possesses towards us, his bride, is something that we can't fathom. There's a deepness and, and there's, a, there's a depth to the love and the affection that he has for us that he desires us to know and understand about. So that, as it says in John 17, verse 24, Father, I will, which means I I will, I want. Okay? It's my intention. So, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am that they may behold my glory. Listen now. Which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Part of what Jesus is and part of what he has was given to him by the Father. And his His happiness and his joy and so forth is so great and so overwhelming. He wants us, you and me, to see it and share it, to touch it and feel it, to know it, and see him, he who suffered on our behalf because of our sin, That is the, like, you know, greatest act of love that any man could ever have for another. None greater. And I've, I've, I've said before, I don't think any of us would, would do that so much for our best friend, let alone those who spit on us and hate us and despise us who pluck out pieces of our beard and put crowns of thorns in our head and whip us and beat us and scourge us till we bleed a bloody, just more blood, as the doctors say, than humanly possible before he even made it to the cross. This is what he suffered. This is what he did. 
And, you know, even though he suffered that, and I'm not making light of it, trust me when I tell you, it'll pale in comparison to what hell's like for eternity. Imagine going through that pain and suffering. And in his case, the separation from his father for the one and only time in his whole eternal existence. And then what does he say while he's on the cross? I've said it before to you. I'll say it again. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They know not what they do. That doesn't mean we can't know about our salvation. It doesn't mean we can't know about prophecy. It doesn't mean we can't know, understand, believe, and trust in our Father God is Son Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Three, three, three people, one God. One God, three things. Don't try to understand it. Just believe it. Understanding will come on its own. I pray, Father God, that this day, this day, Lord, not tomorrow, not next week, not, not any other time, Lord, I pray this day, this time, Father God, be the time that those who are still lost repent of their sin, see their need for salvation, Lord, and come to you, Lord Jesus. Come to you and be washed in the blood and be forever a child of God. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen and amen, everybody. Hey, God bless. Hope you enjoyed the show, as I always do. And we'll talk to you again soon. Goodbye.